Welcome to Doing a World of Good, a podcast from the American Institute of Chemical Engineers and generously supported by Raj and Kumla Gupta, shining the light on the positive works of our members and supporters. I'm your host, Bob Norp. Traditional approaches to developing vaccines are painstakingly slow processes. The time it takes to identify candidates, run clinical tests, refine, and secure regulatory approval can often stretch into years. But what if this time frame could be dramatically shortened? One company is betting that through a combination of new methods and new technologies, they can do exactly that. And today, on the next of our special episodes focused on the COVID-19 pandemic, we talk to two of the individuals with biotech firm Moderna to discuss their groundbreaking work in this area. Now, first up, we have noted MIT Institute professor Dr. Robert Langer, Arguably the most famous engineer on the planet, Bob's unmatched work in biochemical engineering has led him to a host of breakthroughs throughout his long and distinguished career, as well as around 1,300 patents. And more importantly to the conversation today, he currently sits on the board of directors and the scientific advisory board at Moderna. Bob, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, in joining him to round this out is Ray Jordan, who is the head of corporate affairs at Moderna who hopefully will give us some perspective on what's going on at the company. Welcome, Ray. Thanks, Bob. Nice to meet you, and nice to have the chance to talk about this. Pleasure to have you both on the program. Now, I guess the best place to start out for the audience and for myself is tell us a little bit about Moderna. What was the initial driving force behind starting the company, and what was the primary mission? And I guess either of you can go, but Bob, do you want to give some perspective? Yes. Well, why don't I uh, tell you how we started it? And we started it about 10 years ago. And the way it started was there was a young scientist at Harvard named Derek Rossi. And he was uh, working on a new way to make what are called IPS cells. It's a certain uh, type of stem cell in a way. And the way he was doing the way people did that before was by putting DNA in it. And he actually put put, uh, RNA in it and figured out a way to put RNA in it so that it would also work. And that has some advantages because if you use RNA rather than DNA, you, you, you know, you, you won't get mutations and uh, other problems that sometimes occur when you do use uh, DNA methods. So at any rate, he, he, uh, one of his colleagues told him he should see me because we had started this field of what's called tissue engineering, making new tissues and organs. And maybe we could start a company on that with what he found. But when he told me that I said, gee, I, I think we can probably do a lot better than just that. I mean, because you could really use this as a whole new method of, of making proteins, of making vaccines, of making, uh, you know, almost anything. And then a couple of days later, he went to see Nubar Fayan, who's also a chemical engineer and, and started flagship uh, pioneering, which creates new companies and, uh, and, 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 and starts new companies and also funds them. And Nubar uh, said exactly the same thing. So with that, we started Moderna with uh, actually no real employees, but just uh, in flagships offices back in 2010. You know, now, of course, it's grown to something like 800 or 1,000 people. I could have Ray uh, tell you a little bit more. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, thanks, Bob. We've been busy over the uh, nine nine plus years since uh, you helped found the company for sure. Um, today, Moderna is still focused on uh, messenger RNA as, as, a, as a key uh, platform, but we're working in uh, both uh, therapeutics as well as vaccines, 
And the disease categories we're in include infectious diseases, immuno-oncology, rare diseases, and cardiovascular diseases. Some of these things we do on our own, some we do with um, research partners, um, and, and vaccines in particular have become a, um, a strong focal point uh, for us, where we have nine uh, different vaccine candidates in um, what I would call the testing pipeline going forward. So would it be fair to say that the primary mission of the company is to shorten the process between idea and realization of a drug? I, well, I was going to go. start with that. I, th I think it's much more than that. I think that's one of the things that it can do. But also one of the big focuses of the company as well is, is nanotechnology, you know, which is an area we've done a lot of within chemical engineering and a lot of it uh, in the medical area started uh, in our MIT lab and at the Koch Institute uh, at MIT. So at any rate, um, and others have worked on it as well, but the idea is that you can treat diseases not only fast, you can come up with treatments not only faster, but you can also treat diseases that you couldn't treat before, like diseases that are intracellular, for example, because you can use the nanoparticles to put the messenger RNA into cells and, and say if somebody has a rare disease because they lack a certain gene, you can potentially fix it that way. And Moderna's in clinical trials for that as well. You know, they're also developing personalized cancer vaccines, which is uh, tremendously exciting. So there's a whole range of things uh, using uh, the Moderna platform that you can do not only to speed up things as what's happened in the case of of uh, the COVID uh, example, but for many other things as well. Well, that, that's fascinating. Uh, go ahead, Ray, you were gonna say something? Uh, as Bob has described so well uh, multiple times, the, the, the messenger RNA is so unique in the sense that it uses your own body, right, as the bioreactor to create the proteins that you're, you're, you're trying to, to make. And that that's distinct from what are typically, you know, multi-thousand liter tanks that you, where you would be creating, um, you know, proteins externally uh, from. So you can go with a much smaller, typically much smaller uh, doses, and you depend on the individual human beings to make uh, make the proteins. Part of the result of that is, in fact, speed. Um, you know, the the um, SARS-CoV-2 um, virus vaccine candidate that emerged in uh, well, it was like 63 days between the point where it was sequenced to the point where uh, it was actually first tested in humans. But I like to say, well, that was 63 days plus nine years because the, <laughs> you know, the, the platform to build out that mechanism was the nine years of work to make messenger RNA as a technology work effectively. But yes, one of, one of the, one of the uh, side effects of that, and an important one, is the, um, is the speed. You know, one of the things that's most fascinating about the Moderna story is how it is reimagining how the pharmaceutical industry can operate. Um, how has the scale of the COVID-19 pandemic driven the entire pharmaceutical industry to expedite the vaccine development process and maybe to reimagine their own processes? I mean, how are you pushing the envelope in terms of the entire uh, pharmaceutical industry? So, okay, maybe I'll start with that one because sure. some of that gets to Moderna's uh, process and then uh, Bob can provide a broader perspective. For us, what's been interesting about COVID-19 itself, right, as distinct from some of the other vaccines that we're working on, is that we've uh, come to a process of 
running our, um, uh, in effect, the phases of our clinical trials in what I would kind of characterize as a shingled manner, where let's say typically you would you would run a first very small uh, clinical trial, test something out for safety. If all the signals were good, you'd then make a financial decision whether you wanted to go on to the next phase of the trial. And then you would you would start manufacturing what you needed and you would do that phase of the trial. And the same thing at the end of that, you'd go to the third phase of the trial. So you've, you've probably heard, Bob, about the you know multi-year, typically multi-year vaccine development process. Here, because of the pandemic, what we've done is we've gone at financial risk to basically start doing the, the work we have to do to get ready for the next phase of a trial while we're still in the earlier phases. So you, you would not start the second phase trial before you had safety data from your first phase, but you might have already started making material. You might have already started arranging for your trial sites, right? These kinds of things. And that has allowed us to compress um, the, 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 the length of the trial process without compromising the safety at any step along the way. Taking financial risk, yes. Risk with safety? No. So that that to me has been a big learning of the pandemic, and I think it may uh, may mean changes to how we think about uh, medicine development going forward. Bob, any thoughts in there? Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's right. I, I also think that you know, really, when I look at the scientists, I mean, this is a totally different aspect. When I look at the scientists at Moderna and really all over, you know, people just want, want to do whatever they can scientifically to make this go away. So, you know, I see I see just tremendous efforts by all kinds of companies in the pharmaceutical area, even in the sneaker area, making new masks, because I think everybody in science and engineering wants to do what they can to make the world safer and, and, and get rid of this thing. And and so to me, it's it's been amazing how the scientific community has really come together at, and the chemical community to, to really do something very, very important for the world. So, so yeah. true. You know, this may be burying the lead a little bit, getting to this uh, three questions <laughs> in, but, you know, uh, it's worth mentioning that as we record this, the New York Times just yesterday reported that Moderna's vaccine candidate against COVID-19 has made the short list of five approaches that the Trump administration has selected for intensified focus and funding. So I suppose congratulations are in order, but I, I'd really love to know what makes the Moderna vaccine candidate currently in trials so unique? Is there, is it just the fact that it was developed through this unique process that compressed the time frame, or is it more about the unique qualities of the process that it came about that make it potentially more effective? What, what, what do you, what would you say to that? It's a great question. Why don't I, why don't I let Bob talk to you about kind of the process, right, for the vaccine, and then I can talk a little about the stat, the clinical trial status and what we're, what we've seen and so on. Yeah. So 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 classically, the way people made vaccines before this is that you'd you'd have some type of virus that you or, 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 or you know, microbe that you'd inactivate or or or, you know, or, or make it weaker at, or, or, or you'd grow up things like eggs and make proteins. But there's a central dogma in molecular biology, which is that DNA makes RNA makes protein. So most of the, of course, protein is our antibodies, uh, our antibodies can be proteins. So the, the, so what, so before this, what people tried to do was always spend a lot of time and, and giant vats 
you know, making tons and tons of protein. But what you can do with messenger RNA is actually just with the, in a much faster, much uh, smaller manufacturing plant, I mean, orders of magnitude smaller, you can make messenger RNA, and then you put it in a nanoparticle, uh, inject it into the body, and then the body actually makes the, uh, makes the protein, makes the antibody. So the body's, so, so before this, you could view that you had to have these giant factories making uh, things, and now, rather than that, we've made a, something else that you injected into the body, and the body's the factory. But even more than that, that you have a couple of degrees of freedom to really make, and, and Moderna, I think, has done a particularly, scientists there have done a particularly good job on this. You have a couple degrees of freedom to make this really very, very uh, powerful vaccine. And that is that you can change the chemistry of the RNA by modifying it. And there's a lot of different ways that the scientists at, at, uh, at, uh, at Moderna have done that. So you could make it, say, more immunogenic or less immunogenic. And then in addition to that, you also have the nanoparticles and you can adjust the nanoparticles so that you could make them work better, uh, you know, to, to create the vaccine. So, and again, Moderna has many scientists working on that as well. So, so it's the combination of, of being able to use the body as a factory, which is a giant advantage of messenger RNA. And then all the really, I, I think, you know, I'm prejudiced obviously, but the scientists at Moderna uh, doing an outstanding job on, on, working with the chemistry of messenger RNA and then the nanoparticles that are used to deliver them to the body. And Ray, would you like to go? Well, so yeah, thanks, Bob. What I'll, what I'll do, Bob, is give you a little sense of sort of where, where we are, which, which may, may be of interest to people and give, give folks, you know, um, um, some sense of the timeline going forward. You know, back in uh, January, I think it was January 13th, we had what, what was the uh, sequenced potential uh, for a, um, um, you know, a protein to uh, try to address this uh, virus. Uh, and then from January 13th, we began working, uh, as, you know, as Bob described, to create the um, uh, vaccine candidate that we, would, um, that we would use. And we worked closely with the, uh, a, a group within the National Institutes of Health in the U.S. to uh, conduct a first trial, which began on March 16th, was the date when we, from from January, right, February, March, March 16th, we dosed uh, the first participant in the first phase of our of our trial. Uh, that was um, quite a speedy time frame, and uh, while that first phase of the trial is still reading out, it was sufficiently positive for. Um, uh, uh, for the FDA to clear us to begin a second phase of our trial, which will have some 600 um, uh, participants in it. And that actually began on uh, May 29th, just a few days ago, uh, where we dosed the first few uh, participants in that trial. Uh, from there, we expect to, again, get the safety signals reading out and some readings for the, for the effectiveness of the vaccine and begin by July to uh, uh, commence our third and final phase of the trial, which we would expect will um, address tens of thousands of participants. So um, if, if you look in, in terms of the time scale, we're, we're on an accelerated time scale. We've com committed to the manufacturing uh, capabilities and with a partner to uh, potentially 
developed tens of millions of doses a month uh, this year and as much as hundreds of millions of doses a month. Um, you know, starting next year in 2021. So we we are we're running fast. We're running careful. Uh, we're watching safety, and we're looking forward to uh, hearing more about the efficacy of our vaccine as the trials mature. I'm sure you and a lot of other people. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's, it's very it's very satisfying to have folks, friends, families, just you know, thank you for what you're doing. It's like, oh, I'm doing my job. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And the, the technology sounds fascinating um, as we kind of plow into it. Bob, tell me a little bit about your day-to-day involvement with Moderna. How has your background and expertise shaped the company's vision? And in particular, how has your work helped them in this particular fight? Um, obviously, you gave the background of how you would um, – working with somebody in the lab initially, um, taking his uh, idea and helping him to bring it to fruition. But what did you particularly bring to this process? Well, I, I like to think a couple things. I mean, uh, you know, and, and, and some of them are scientific, some of them are an intellectual property, some of them are just my experience, I guess, I hope in, in, in um, you know, creating companies we've uh, but anyhow, I'll go through them just briefly. So first, um, in terms of the lab, I mean, nanotechnology is one of the key features to get this whole thing to work. You know, so that's something that I've been involved in, you know, from the beginning. Uh, beyond that, uh, you know, I'm on the board of directors. I'm on the scientific advisory board, you know, and I've been on both since, you know, the first day the company, we started the company. Um, you know, so I talk to the different scientists. I've helped them recruit different scientists. I'm, I'm much better on the science end than the financial end or anything like that. But, uh, you know, and then I've, I've worked with them to try to help on on delivery problems or other chemical engineering problems. Uh, but I've also, you know, spent a lot of time on intellectual property. I have something like 1,400 issued and pending patents myself, so I've spent time trying to do what I can to make sure that the patent portfolio at Moderna is excellent, and I, I like to think it is is excellent. Um, and and I, I guess I've made enough mistakes uh, spinning companies out of our lab, so that I I I've learned some of the things about what not to do and what to do. So I guess as a board member, I I try to help on those things as well. Uh, you know, just in terms of giving general advice and the type of people we hire and things like that. And indulge me. Uh, Go ahead, Ray. You're going to say something? No, no. I was just going to say, uh, Bob, you know, a lot of folks know about boards of directors, but scientific advisory boards might be a, a new concept. I wonder if you, if you might just uh, take a moment and, and tell people what how that works, you know, the kind of participation you have with that, because it's kind of unique to our industry. Yeah, well, we have a terrific scientific advisory board. Jack Sostak at Harvard Med is a chair of it, and he's been wonderful. And we've had, uh, you know, a combination of people from industry and, and academia on it. Uh, you know, and basically we look at particular issues, which could be drug delivery, which could be mRNA chemistry, could be other things. And, you know, really do an extremely deep dive. And people are, you know, on the advisory board are are critical, but uh, of everything, you know, trying to give the best possible advice they can on on what to do, what other things we should think about, and so forth. So it's been very, very useful. Uh, I've been on quite a number of scientific advisory boards for different companies, and you know, I it's it's uh, been great to be on this one as well. Yeah, indulge me a little bit more about that. I know that a lot of the listeners are huge fans of yours. I mean, obviously, you've got a reputation out there, so. 
Um, you're involved in a number of startups. You mentioned that both directly and in an advisory capacity. What else have you been working on that's empowering the collective response to the current crisis? Anything else we should know about or anything else that somebody else is doing? So just on the crisis, sure. Well, we're doing a lot of things. You know, one of the things that we've done for many, for now the last eight or nine years is work with the Gates Foundation on, on, on new vaccine approaches. In fact, one of the things we, we published in Science a couple of years ago, a way to give an injection where that's, that's self-boosting. So, you know, right now, actually with some of these vaccines, including ours, you have to give them multiple times, which by the way is fine, usually in the United States and the developed world. But, you know, if you look at the Chinese, one of the, I think, uh, uh, one of the Chinese viruses, they have to have vaccines, you have to give three injections. A lot of others, you'll have to give two. Uh, but, you know, in the developing world, people rarely come back. So having a self-boosting vaccine uh, could be very useful. We've also worked on new ventilators. Again, this might be something better for the developing world, but uh, we published a paper in Science Translational Medicine, uh, uh, Shreya and Gio Traverso and others with us, and, and uh, on a way to split ventilators uh, safely. That just came out about two weeks ago. And then another one of my former postdocs, Yed, uh, he's been working on a, a $200 ventilator, something that would be very cheap. We've also, uh, in another company, Seven Cents, that I helped start, um, where, you know, one of the things that I should point out as a prelude to that is a lot of times when people are taking these tests for COVID, you know, there's a tremendous amount of false negatives. One of the reasons there's a lot of false negatives, I mean, there's a few reasons, but one of the reasons is they're doing nasal swabs. And I, I could tell you, if I was doing it, I would miss it completely. You know, you just don't, don't necessarily get where you want. So here we've come up with a way of using micro needles, uh, which is painless, to draw blood. So you could actually do serology and get much more accurate blood tests. And uh, it, that, that's actually now been FDA approved for other things. And I hope it will be for even home use. But I hope it will be approved for that as well. We've also worked on masks. We've done, uh, you know, I've been a big believer in masks. I've been very disappointed uh, uh, that people haven't, spent more time uh, first wearing masks and then developing better ones. So we actually helped, uh, you know, New Balance, which is a sneaker company, make uh, better masks. And they, they did a terrific job. And again, some of the people in our lab, like, like James Byrne and Gio Traverso, they've also come up with uh, new masks. So we're, we're and, and finally, with David Edwards, who's another chemical engineer, and Denny Asiello, we've been working on new nasal sprays that Hopefully we'll get rid of the virus. So, so we're we're working we're working on a whole bunch of things that I hope will help. Well, that that is amazing. That's a lot of different areas where your your expertise is touching. Um, let's talk specifically about chemical engineering real quickly. What are the critical points in the collective response where you see chemical engineering playing a vital role, and what could we do better? What are, what are the areas where we could maybe improve what our response is? Well, I think chemical engineers have done, I mean, of course, again, I'm very prejudiced, have done a great job, <laughs> and not just on the basic science, which is kind of more where we've played, you know, in terms of the chemistry of messenger RNA and and uh, and other things as well, uh, and the delivery systems. But also, I mean, another giant thing that's been very important is the manufacturing uh, of, of these. You know, Moderna itself has a tremendously, you know, pl a tremendous plant to just you know, make, you know, hundreds of millions of, of doses of this. And, and chemical engineers play a role across the board, you know, from manufacturing to packaging uh, to, to so many things that are critical to get this out. 
So where they could improve, I I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think that that I, I think the that that the chemical engineers, the science has been very good. The problem in this case is that our nation and the world wasn't prepared for this pandemic, and and so unfortunately, I, 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 that that put us all behind the eight ball. So what I see is the scientists moving as fast as possible to try to rectify the problems that. Uh, People in the CDC, the World Health Organization, the governments um, set us up to, you know, set this up because they just weren't prepared. I should add, Bill Gates, by the way, predicted all this. He gave a 2015 TED talk saying that, boy, we should be spending a lot more money on on these tiny little microbes than we should be on uh, than we are on all these other things. And he certainly was right. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I've. I've heard of this talk as well. Um, Max Brooks was also talking about it for a while, but that's a whole other story. Let, let's let's go back to Moderna. Um, what's next for, for for Moderna? I mean, you've given us perspective, Ray, about what's going on with the trials. Uh, we know what's going on with the vaccine. We know some of the other disease areas where you're working in currently, putting drugs in trial. You've given us some perspective. What else is on the agenda for the company and wh where where do you go next? Well, what a great question, Bob. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, look, Moderna is very committed to messenger RNA as uh, you know, as a, a potentially just transformative medical uh, platform, and it's it's not just um, in in vaccines, but in a number of other, um, I guess I would call them modalities, delivery uh, modalities, probably. Uh, before COVID-19 showed up at our doorstep, we were um, moving sort of most productively forward in um, a vaccine addressing a cytomegalovirus, which uh, CMV, which is a um, virus that's quite widespread, but it, it really um, impacts um, uh, pregnant mothers and can be transmitted to uh, infants. And is one of the, if not the largest um, um, inducer of uh, birth defects for children. So there's a va vaccine already in trials for that. And, we're, and so we were, we were sort of moving along thinking that that was going to be our introduction to the, you know, to the world. And then uh, COVID-19 came and the same platform, interesting, I mean, this, the same mRNA, messenger RNA platform uh, proved to be uh, appropriate in this, in this uh, disease. So, so vaccines are, important to us, as I, as I mentioned, we have nine uh, that are in different stages of uh, trials. So I won't, I won't, I won't bore you with uh, running through the whole sequence of them, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, satis satisfied to say that these are in many cases um, uh, viruses that have not had effective uh, treatments available. Uh, Bob, you may have a little better, uh, even medical uh, perspective on, on some of, some of the areas that we're involved in there. Yeah, so I'd say rare diseases, you know, where there's genetic defects, uh, you know, like enzyme deficiency diseases, uh, of which there are many. I also was saying, and then there's two types of vaccines, right? There's the vaccines like for COVID where you're trying to, to combat something like that, but we're also developing uh, therapeutic vaccines for cancer, uh, but it's, it's pretty unlimited. I mean, you, you know, just many, many diseases can be uh, treated this way. So those, those are some of the programs uh, that, that we're working on. Well, this has been an eye-opening half hour. Thank you so much for your time, and thank you for spending time with us here on the show. 
It's a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. Now, our guests today have been Dr. Robert Langer from MIT and Ray Jordan from Moderna. For more details about the topics we discussed or to find out more about the Doing a World of Good campaign, visit doingaworldofgood.org. And that does it for this episode of Doing a World of Good. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, search for us on your favorite podcast directory or visit doingaworldofgood.org. On behalf of everyone at the American Institute of Chemical Engineers, I'm Bob Norp. Thanks for listening. Thank you.